Hey gang, this is Pastor Eric Sorensen coming to you from uh, actually Ocean Grove, New Jersey, outside of the Great Auditorium that's actually right behind me. Uh, I'm coming to you today from this place because I'm teaching here all week, and then on Sunday I'll be preaching in the place right behind me here. Uh, but I wanted to make sure and do my best to bring the devotion to you today. We're still in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're dealing with, I think, always a timely topic and that is how do we discern the will of God for our life um, I can remember as a teenager trying to discern the answer to that question and it always being very troubling to me how on earth do you determine what God's will is and more often than not I think what I ended up doing when I would try and determine God's will was basically um, you know play some sort of game of luck you know, I can remember, you know, trying to decide God's will by, you know, throwing a piece of paper in a trash can. And, and if it went in, then, of course, that was clearly God's will for me to do something. If it missed, then it was clearly not God's will for me to do something. And, of course, the Bible gives much better wisdom for how to determine God's will for our life. So, so we're going to look at that today, First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let's just take it. Uh, piece by piece as we move through it. Uh, if you remember last time, if you were part of our devotions from last week, we talked specifically about baptism, but the broader context of that passage was about Christ suffering for our sins. And so Peter begins, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What was the way of thinking? Well, instead of thinking about his own good and his own benefit and his own uh, uh, safety or um, his own comfort, Christ is always thinking outside of himself. He's thinking about, number one, the will of the Father. He says that over and over, especially in John's Gospel. But then he also is thinking about you and I. So that's the focus. That's what does it mean to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking? What's God's will for my life? What's good for my neighbor? And you'll find out that oftentimes whatever is good for your neighbor ends up being, in fact, God's will for your life. And we'll flesh that out in just a second. And Peter goes on, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's that phrase, the will of God. Now, this passage, if it's taken out of its context taken out of the context of the rest of scripture could obviously be very troubling or, or very confusing. Uh, it, it seems to imply that if you've suffered at all in the flesh, then, you know, you're not going to sin anymore. It says whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. So there's a few different ways that interpreters deal with this. I think that probably the best way of dealing with this uh, verse is to say something to the effect of when we are giving ourselves over to suffering on another's behalf, not thinking about ourselves and our own comfort, there is no possible way in those moments that we can be in sin. Remember, Paul says um, there is no law against love. I'm paraphrasing, but there's this sense in which when we are giving ourselves over, when, we're, when we have the same thinking as Christ, that 
there's no way in that time that we can possibly be living in sin. Uh, it's the opposite. Sin is, is all about self-protection, self-comfort, selfishness. And to have the mind of Christ is to be thinking about the other all the time. And then he gives examples of what it means to, like, what is contrary to the will of God. So this is some of the things that, um, that we are to avoid if we are to pursue God's will. Um, he gives us in this, in this passage both things to avoid and things to pursue. It says, verse 3, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles is another way of saying uh, just non-Christians. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Cindy. Uh, so he's just talking about non-believers in general. And what does he say they do? They live in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Incidentally, after reading a list like that, if anyone ever tells you, Oh, the world is going to hell like we've never seen before, just remember that passage. Remember ancient Rome. Remember the rest of world history. Anybody who says that the world is far worse today, far worse than it's ever been, just doesn't really pay attention to history because it's in there's a sense in which the author of Ecclesiastes is saying like same as it ever was same as it ever was and when you look at the ways that Peter describes the unbelieving world at the time it doesn't seem much different than it is today and so he says with respect to this verse 4 they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, where you refused to go along with somebody who wanted to party, especially like an old friend that maybe you used to party with, and then, you know, let's say you were converted and now you don't do that anymore. There's a sense in which it's not just like, oh, okay, that's cool. Sometimes there's a defensiveness, like, oh, oh, you think you're better than me now, huh? You think you're better than me. And there, there's that can very much happen. And so Peter says, you know, yeah, they, that's the thing. Like, people might malign you. Verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter encourages this group of Christians to hold steadfast, to not give in to the temptations of the flesh, which all these things were that he mentions to avoid, but to remember that ultimately um, that these that these folks who are maligning you are going to face God for what they're doing, and uh, that this, this world is not it. Um, what, what goes on in the day-to-day -day here is not it. Verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Interesting little verse there. Um, this, by the way, this verse, I think, gives credence to the view, going back to the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 3, that when Christ went and preached to the spirit spirits in prison uh, from Noah's day, that in fact he was seeking to preach to them that they might receive the gospel. That this could give credence to that view. I mean, uh, he says that he preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Um, there is another way of viewing that verse that basically says um, that Jesus preaches to sinners and therefore we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And but I don't think that that deals with the text as well. Um, either way, though, Peter is saying, like, uh, these people that are maligning you, Jesus is seeking to reach out to. He's preaching to them, hoping that they'll turn, they'll repent and believe in him. That's the big idea. So that's some, sort of some of the stuff to avoid. You don't want to do that if you're pursuing the will of God. But on the other hand, 
if you're pursuing the will of God, it's super earthy. It's like it's way more earthy and raw than you ever probably naturally think it is. We're, we're prone to thinking that the will of God has everything to do with cleaning up our own navel and making sure that we look good and that we read our devotions enough and that you watch this devotion faithfully every single day. And then we can kind of go, oh, good, 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 good. I'm, I'm seeking the will of God. Yes, yes, yes. But no, it goes deeper than that. And actually, it's dirtier than that. That's the best way I can describe it. So Peter says, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Incidentally, when people talk about the signs today and they say, oh, it's clear that the end of all things is at hand. We're getting closer and closer and closer. Peter would have said the same thing in the first century. In fact, he does. He says it right here. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, the point is, is that the end of all things has been at hand ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We've been in the last days since then. So, yeah, the end of all things is at hand, always has been, will be until he comes. Therefore, since that is the case, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded, you're, you're not going to feel comfortable praying. The, the devil gets a, a foothold in this. He makes you believe that you shouldn't pray or you couldn't pray because you're just too sinful. You're too messy. Instead, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you see the other focus of the will of God? Turns out the will of God has everything to do with getting your eyes off yourself and getting your eyes on to your neighbor. Uh, incidentally, Dan Price wrote a great little piece for the blog yesterday all about this, going over 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-10, through 10, which turns out is not about what you may have thought it was about. Uh, it's all about getting your eyes off yourself, focusing on the neighbor. And this is how he, he talks about it. It covers over a multitude of sins. Man, God is in the, the covering over sin business. Like, this is what he's all about. He is all about us doing it for our neighbor because that's what Jesus is all about for us. His love covers over a multitude of sins every stinking day in my life. Every day. <laughs> and it's true for you too. So he says, verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love the fact that he has to add without grumbling. i got to tell you, I've shown hospitality and done plenty of grumbling as, uh, <laughs> as we've done it. This is such a human <laughs> issue. So show hospitality to one another, you know, without... <laughs> try to be as genuine as possible is the idea that Peter has. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Look at the one another focus again. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You want to glorify God? You want to glorify God through Jesus Christ? Look at what Peter says to do. Serve your neighbor. Because through your service to your neighbor... Through anything, I mean, through your work and through your family and through your playtime, look to your neighbor's needs. And it turns out that that will be the most glorifying thing you can do in your life. Not about yourself, not about your own navel-gazing, but about your neighbor. Because that, that's, as he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Just as Jesus has done that for us, he's freed us up now because we don't have to worry about it. Our sins are covered. He's freed us up now to go after our neighbor and serve them well, cover over their sins. So, All right, gang, that's it. I'm going to go speak now. 
Uh, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. God bless.